Summertime is here, and the best way to beat the heat is with these great deals at MythMark.com. Join the adventure with sisters Emma and Olivia as they journey through the land of imagination in search of Yoon, the magical unicorn, in David K. Montoya's The Missing Unicorn and the Land of the Zombie Fairies. Or travel with poet Christopher Bice as he shares his thoughts on love, death, inspiration, and madness in Escaping the Darkness, Running from My Dreams. If fantasy romance is more your speed, join Celeste and Merrick as they figure out how to defeat the evil Ren doll while they figure out the plans of the elders in Stephanie J. Vardy's The Chosen. Like comic books? We got them too! Hot Off the Press is American Smash by Alan Russo and David K. Montoya for $4.99. Or enjoy our older releases like The Hunter's Exodus for only $2.99. Also just in time for the summer are these other hot deals like Zoe M. Montoya's Uni Whale t-shirt, blue for boys and pink for girls, only $33.99. Or Lupus Bits the Podcast shirt for $27.99. For all our art lovers, we have something for you too with our prints and lithographs. Check out the Ed Bickford collection for $15 each or enjoy the art of Vincent May for $15. We have everything you'll need to stay inside and beat the summertime heat at MythMart.com. For more information, go to www.MythMart.com. Call us at 870-557-2612 or email sales at MythMart.com. Yeah, I remember Quinn and his family. It was uh, 2220. You know, life was a depressing dead in existence thanks to the aftermath of global warming. The only thing they had to look forward to was a mandatory 40-year lifespan, at which point they'd be unceremoniously put to death and turned into compost. But only if they lived that long. You know, then one day, Quinn made a fateful decision, and, you know, there were disastrous consequences. Consequences that forced Quinn and his wife and their son and their friend, to flee the confines of the city in search of a different life. They were searching for something better. Their hopes lie in the distant snow-capped mountains, but to get there they had to cross that dreaded no-man's land, all while being chased by the World Order Security Police who had orders to shoot to kill, and their food and water was running short. Could they make it to reach their new lives? Read their inspiring story to find out in Jim Bates' Something Better, now available in paperback and ebook. For more information, go to www.mythmart.com. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on our wayward son, there'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry! Hey everybody and welcome to the late night edition of Lupa's Bits, episode 55. I am your host, Lupa Barty. As always, I don't think my name's ever going to change. I don't know why I tell you every week what my name is. It's Lupa's Bits, so you obviously know my name's Lupa. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a it's the opening a uh, little housekeeping to do before we get started those of you that are planning on being in california in october tickets are now on sale for scare fair go and get them pcehd.com get your tickets uh myth mart still in full swing you want to wear a t-shirt with my face on it 
I highly recommend it. They're very comfortable. I know. I have one. Books. You need a new summer reading list. We've got a ton of books over there. We've got Jim Bates. We've got Walter G. Esselman. We've got Chris Bice. We've got David K. Montoya. Oh, we've got a ton. I'm trying. I, I can see the, all the covers in my head. I just can't pull the names because it is actually 1.30 in the morning. Um, like I said, late night edition. Dark Myth Publications is now accepting submissions. Book submissions, not story submissions. Book submissions for our 2022 lineup and working into our 2023 lineup so if you've got something that you think might sell that you think is is really good send it over to me at sjbfreelance1972 at gmail.com one day i will have a dark myth email today is not that day also talking about submissions zombie works We are doing an anthology called Natural Instincts, and it's all stories, 13 of them to be exact, about witches and or warlocks. Has to contain a witch or a warlock, but it is not limited to that. You can have both and other supernatural creatures, but you must have at least one of those. One witch, one warlock, at least. Uh, You can send those to ZombieWorks Publications at Yahoo.com. Deadline is uh, September, I believe. Second week of September. Yeah, somewhere in there. Anyway, get them in. Fill them up fast. So get your stories in at least maximum 3,000 words. Please and thank you. I'm very excited about it. So yeah, that's Natural Instincts. And if you want to get published, great way to do that. Write a really good short story about a witch or a warlock or both. And get it into an anthology. Kind of. Well, it's not how I started, but it was my first publication before my book came out. I came out in the anthology. My my short story that actually, <laughs> funny story, the short story that came out in the anthology and was the very, very first piece that I ever had published anywhere other than the articles that I wrote for Building Bridges magazine. And I have two poems in uh, two books by Brendan Myers. The Huntress was the first piece that I'd ever, first short story that I'd ever had published anywhere. And it was published on the World of Myth magazine. I won member of the month and it ended up in uh, the World of Myth Anthology 3. And then my book came out. So it was kind of cool. But it's a really neat experience. Like if you've never actually seen your words on the pages of a book, it's really, I I can't explain it. It's a surreal experience. So yeah. Natural Instincts, Zombie Works. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Facebook. Um, I'm pretty sure we... Yes, you can find us on Twitter. And we will, within the next week or two, there will be an Instagram account for Zombie Works as well. There's a Dark Myth Publications account. And we've just gotten that rolling now. And it's it's doing really well. Uh, hang on. I got I to gotta unmute my live studio audience because I can't read his sign language. So I'm going to pause for a moment and consult with the flappy hands in the screen. So hold on. I can't even find my mouse. Told you it's late. Oh, there it is. And I'm back. <laughs> okay, so he wasn't, I don't know. So www.zombieworks.us is the website. If you want to go check it out, do so. I do believe that I actually had more housekeeping, but I can't remember it because I didn't write it down. So we're going to move right on into the podcast. Yes, this is episode 55, five, five, two fives. 
I'm pretty much expecting a fire truck to go by at some point in time during this episode, just because it is episode 55. Those of you that are close to me know the significance of the number five. So if you want to tune out at this point, go right ahead. I'm going to explain it to those that don't know. My dad was a fireman. It'll be 13 years this month that he that he died. Holy crap, that all of a sudden just hit me really hard. <laughs> anyway, it'll be 13 years this month that um, he died. And he died of cancer, three types of cancer, that out of the five that firemen get. He's been a, he was a lifer and he was a volunteer. Well, when my mom first married him, and we moved to from Barrie to Midland. He was my, technically, he was my stepdad, but he was my dad. For all intents and purposes, he was my dad. So when we moved to Port Nichol, he joined the fire department. He always wanted to be a fireman. That was his dream ever since he was a little kid. Wanted to be a fireman. Wanted to ride the fire trucks. Wanted to be a fireman. What little boy doesn't want to be a fireman? Well, the ones that all the little boys have the I want to be a fireman or I want to be a policeman when they're little kids. It's the ones that don't actually let go of that that become the firemen and the policemen when they're adults. So my dad always wanted to be a fireman. So he joined the Port Manico Fire Department. And when he joined the Port Manico Fire Department, his number there was number 11. And then my mom had my sister. And then my mom had my brother. And that took up the two bedrooms upstairs. So they built me this, the coolest bedroom in the basement. Now, when my sister was born, I was 10. When my brother was born, I was 12. So I was right on the precipice of teenagedom, okay? So they build me this really cool bedroom in the basement because they needed the two upstairs rooms because you couldn't put a two-year-old and a baby in the basement. And you couldn't put a boy and a girl in the same room. It just wasn't done. So they built me this, this and I mean, I helped. I helped build it too. It was like me and my mom and my dad, after my brother and sister would go to bed, we'd all trudge down to the basement and we put up, you know, studs and we built walls. And I will tell you when you're putting up drywall on a ceiling and you're holding it up over your head, you find muscles in your chest that you didn't know existed. <laughs> and, and, ow, there are, are muscles under my boobs that I did not know were there. I found them when I was 12, holding this piece of drywall up so that my dad could screw it to the ceiling, to the, to the joists, to make my roof. They completely soundproofed my room because, again, I was 12. At this point in my life, I already had an immense love for music. So I would constantly have my radio going in my room or, you know, my record player. Well, my dad's record player, actually, big stereo out in the living room. I didn't have a record player. So they wanted to make sure if they're giving this room to an up and coming teenager that it was soundproof so that if I wanted to blare my music, it wouldn't wake the rest of the household. So, yeah, think about it. Then they, they built my room and, of course, it had the little basement window. All right. They put my desk right underneath the basement window. It's not like a bedroom window where you climb out and you have to drop down to the ground. You're in the basement. So what you're climbing out onto is already ground. All I had to do was step on my desk and out the window. Every teenager's dream. Soundproof bedroom, easy exit. They couldn't hear me coming or going. They couldn't hear me if I was sneaking friends in at 2 o'clock in the morning or sneaking friends out at 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it was great. And that Christmas, 
they actually bought me my first stereo and they tested it out. They tested out the soundproofness of the bedroom by putting on, I do believe it was Rush's Fly By Night album on the stereo and turning it up full blast, closing the door. They couldn't hear a thing. It was a teenager's dream room. I could have snuck out and gone to so many parties and snuck back in and never been caught. I could have snuck my boyfriend in when I was old enough to have one and never been caught. As luck would have it, I was also allergic to the bedroom because it was in the basement. The rest of the basement wasn't finished, just my room. So there was still all the must, the mold, the mildew, everything that comes along with the basement. And I developed bronchial asthma as a child. And it was so bad. Like I would get into a coughing fit so bad that like my lips would start turning blue and I couldn't get any air in. It was just a constant cough out. My mom would grab me. (laughs) And I mean, we're talking January, February in Ontario in the early 80s. So it would have been probably around 83, 84, maybe 85. No, 83. Yeah, 83. So six to eight foot snowbanks, really, really cold, frigid winters. So I would get coughing and Dr. Galiski had told her, you know, stick her head in the freezer, get her to breathe in the cold air that will calm the bronchi and she will be able to breathe and she'll stop coughing. Well, my mom decided to go one better because I'm short. So I couldn't actually at 13, 12 and 13, couldn't actually reach my head. I still can't reach my to stick my head into the freezer on my shush. My live studio audience thinks this is rather funny. Because I'm short. I'm only five foot three, okay? Anyway, so, I mean, you pretty much have to put, like, your upper body into the freezer to be able to breathe enough cold air in to help the coughing. Mom would just open the door and fire me out onto the deck into the snow and the cold. I uh, I do remember, I think it was my 12th birthday. Uh, no, it was my 13th birthday. That's right. It was my 13th birthday because I was so upset because... It was my first teenage birthday. I was turning 13. Wouldn't have been my first boy-girl party. I had that when I was 10. But it would have been my first teenage birthday party, which means it would have been unchaperoned. My parents wouldn't have been hovering over us going, let's play pin the tail on the donkey. It would have been a, at 13, it would have been a grown-up birthday party. And I was so sick for all of January, all of February, all of March and into April, I missed my birthday. I was too sick to have my birthday. I missed school for those entire three months. I was home and I was sick. Because of all of that, we had to move to Midland, uproot the family, buy a house. My bedroom's still downstairs, but now it's a split level, back split. So there's two bedrooms upstairs and my mom's, there was three bedrooms. There was my brother, my sister, my parents. And then, you know, they stick me the tester. I was the test. I was mom's test child <laughs> before she found the right family and had, you know, the real kids. She, there is, you go, you came in the front door and to the left was the formal living room, dining room. And then right in front of you was the vestibule, as my mother liked to call it. It was the front hall. Front hall had the closet, had the mat for your shoes, had the doorway to the living room and the doorway to the kitchen. So you go into the kitchen You go through the kitchen and then there's the back door or the side door, actually. 
And then there was five steps to go upstairs or five steps to go down, four steps to go downstairs, four steps to go up, four steps to go down. I'll tell you why I know there's four in a minute. Live studio audience, in a few minutes, just hold four fingers up for me, okay? And then I remember to tell the story. See, this is why I have the, my live studio audience, because I always tell you in a podcast, I will get back to that story. And I never do. <laughs> I always forget. Anyway, so I was down in the downstairs rec room den kind of laundry room was down there my room was down there you go out the patio door into the backyard and then there was four more stairs down into the basement so i wasn't technically in the basement i was still a level of i was ground level but the house was built on a hill so even the kitchen and the upstairs living room and the kitchen was on ground level so it was kind of neat again easy to sneak out of because <laughs> this bedroom i did because you could go out into the living room and the sliding glass door was right there. Out into the backyard, over the fence, and I'm gone. I went to a lot of sugar bush parties. For those of you that don't know what a sugar bush is, I, I don't imagine if you're not making maple syrup that you would know what a sugar bush is. A sugar bush is not an actual bush. It's the bush, like the forest. It's the bush. I'm going into the bush. Um, if you're from the south in the States, you know what bushwhacking is, bushhogging, all of that stuff. You're going out into the bush. You're going mudding. Yeah, that bush. Back in the bush, there was an old maple syrup distill, like still. Basically, it's a big fire pit and they had built benches and they had built tables. And it was where there was like an entire grove of maple trees and they would tap all the trees and they have, um, when they tap the trees, they stick these, literally stick a wooden tap into the tree. And then they put a hose on it. And all of the hoses are joined to one main hose, which drains into the big pot, I guess you'd call it. All of that sap gets boiled down and what you're left with is maple syrup. Hence sugar bush, because you're just left, you're burning off a lot of the, the tree sap sugars. Like the sap is just pure tree sugar. It's oh, so good. A delicacy up here where there's snow is called taffy on snow or syrup on snow. And you take a baking pan and you fill it with snow. And then you take the hot maple syrup and you pour it onto the snow. And then you take a popsicle stick and you roll it across that maple syrup that you've just poured well when it hits the snow it starts to solidify and it becomes like a taffy caramel consistency and you roll it onto the stick and then you just num, 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 num. oh it's so good totally not keto friendly but it's so good ah there's my four okay when we move to midland you'll have to do it again because i'm taking the long way around to the number the explanation for the number five when we moved to midland my dad joined the fire department in midland and his number changed from 11 to number 5. We lived in Midland for the rest of my dad's life. My brother and sister grew up in Midland. I lived in Midland. Moving to Sutton is the first time I actually ever lived outside of Midland, except when I was 16 and I lived with my aunt and uncle in downtown Toronto for a while. So I spent my entire life in Midland. In yeah. So my dad's number was number 5, and it remained that number until he died. And when he died, they actually retired that number at the fire hall. No other fireman in the history of the Midland Fire Hall will ever have the number five. Now, 
a lot of the firemen back in the day got personalized license plates because when they're going, when a volunteer is going to a fire, sometimes they will go directly to the fire in their own personal vehicles instead of going to the hall, jumping on the truck. There's only so much room on the truck. So they would go directly to the fire, gear up and, you know, do their thing. So a lot of them got personalized license plates and you see them all over now. A lot of small towns, their fire department jumped on this bandwagon and you will see it'll say um, like for Midland, it was MFD, Midland Fire Department, and then the fireman's number. My dad's was MFD 05. When my dad died, my brother took my dad's plates. They were never returned back to the MTO, which is the Ministry of Transportation. They were never returned. So those plates will always be in circulation. They're not tagged. They don't have the sticker on them. So because the stickers expired, the sticker expired the year he died. So like we can always go out and we can look and it'll say 08 on it. Um, my brother has those those plates in his um, garage at his house. He has my dad's plates. So no one will ever have MFD 05 as their license plate number either. Well, after my dad died, strange things started happening. Number five seemed to kind of crop up all over the place. And one we kind of went always oh, in that kind of neat you know maybe dad's watching over us or he's sending us a sign or something or you know he's still around he's involved and kind of laughed it off and it wasn't until my granddaughter was born which would have been my dad's first great grandchild you need to understand my dad was a huge family man he not, he loved nothing more than to sit back in the middle of all the kid chaos the noise and the laughter and the carrying on and just he would just sit there with this big grin on his face a lot of times especially at Christmas my mom would tell us because we didn't see it we were kids and we were or you know my brother and sister were kids I was older had kids of my own so Christmas would be my brother my sister me and then my two small boys so it would be very loud very boisterous very happy affair and mom said dad would grab her hand and pull her into the kitchen just around the corner where we couldn't see. And he would just stand there and hug her and just listen to all of us laughing and, and giggling and playing with our new toys and checking out all our new stuff and fighting back and forth. And, and he would just stand there and, and giggle. That was his greatest pleasure in life was listening to all of us. So he would have been all over. And when Katie, when my daughter was born, he loved his grandsons. Don't get me wrong. He loved his grandsons. He taught them how to fish. He taught them how to camp. He taught them how to light a fire. He taught them how to chop wood, how to fix an engine. He did so much with his grandsons. Taught all of us kids how to do that too. He said no kid of his was going to drive a car without knowing how to A, put a, a fan belt in with a pair of pantyhose, change a spark plug, change a tire, put gas in the car, put oil in the car. We needed to know the basics. When my granddaughter was born, she was late. Which, if you know Lizzie, it's kind of typical. <laughs> she was late. So they had decided they were going to induce on the Monday, which was the 26th of August. No, 27th of August. Dad died on the 21st of August. Well, we're pretty sure Dad had something to do with it because she was born on the 26th, five days after the anniversary of my dad's death. Yeah, five days after. And it has just kind of, five has kind of cropped up everywhere. When we finally convinced mom to leave the abusive man that she married after dad died, 
She bought her first home ever that she's ever owned on her own by herself with her name on the mortgage, on the, the, the deed to the property, May 5th, 2015. Can't get any more fives than that. When I moved into my apartment, it's 130, it's 1-130. Add it up. Five. My P.O. box number, 1225. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's cropped up in my brother's life on numerous places, numerous occasions. Um, and my brother is now in training. He is now a fireman. And I'm very proud of my brother. But yeah, five is always kind of cropped up. And for me, whenever I see a fire truck and it's been this way since the day he died. Well, since his funeral, actually, because we fought and the firemen fought long and hard with the Firemen's Association of Canada to get my dad a fireman's funeral because my dad was a volunteer. A, they're not entitled to the the, the widow is not entitled to the town insurance. B, they're not entitled to a full-time firefighter's funeral. C, they're not entitled to workers' comp. The widow is not entitled to workers' compensation. My dad died in the line of duty. The cancer he had is considered a line of duty death. Most small towns, and we petitioned for this, and the law was actually changed through the death of my dad. All my dad ever wanted to do was do good in this world and, and spend time with his family. And his death did good because we petitioned, because we fought, because we all of the other fire departments rallied with us, presented this to the government and to the Firefighters Association. Uh, the law was changed because 95% of the fire departments in small towns are made up strictly of volunteers. You may have a small four to five member full-time crew that stay at the firehouse. But most of the firemen on that fire department are volunteers. So where is it fair that this person gets to go and work a full-time job somewhere else, eight hours a day, to pay the bills to support their family and work a firefighter's job full-time as well because they go to every single fire. They don't get to pick and choose. Oh, I worked 12 hours today. I'm really tired. You know, I got to be up in two hours and go to work. I think I'm going to skip this one. No, they don't. I know many a times my dad would work an eight-hour shift, come home, eat dinner. His beeper would go off at 10 o'clock at night. He'd be gone until 3, 4 o'clock in the morning fighting a fire. He'd come home, have a shower, grab a cup of coffee and go to work. Because that's what they do. So we petitioned and the law was changed Volunteers are, are now entitled to the town insurance, which means the widow gets the insurance. He's holding up five at me now. <laughs> I've already explained the significance of the number five. My dad's fire number. He's bugging me now. He just wants to be part of the podcast. One of these days, he'll actually be on the podcast instead of just being the live studio audience. But we'll see. Or an interview. Anyway. Yeah. So through his death, it was changed. He got the full fireman's funeral, which means that everybody shows up in dress uniform. He got to be buried in his dress. Well, his dress uniform was on display. He got the flag draped over his coffin. He got the, they call it the fireman's last ride. What they do is they take the casket and they slide it into the back of the rescue truck. Cause that's the only truck it's going to fit on. And they drive a specific route with that truck and they go by the fire hall. And every fire hall has a bell. 
our fire hall, the Midland Fire Hall, had a great big, huge, it looked like the Liberty Bell, great big, huge bell out front. And the, the rescue truck will stop in front of the fire hall. And that bell is rung three times to signify that that fireman has come home. It's his final ride. And then they take it back to, um, because my dad was being cremated. <laughs> that's, that's a funny story. <laughs> I'm telling you now, try and cremate a fireman and they are going to give you a hard time. They bring, brought him back to the fire hall. But ever since that moment, every time I see a fire truck, every time I see the rescue vehicle, every time I see the fire marshal's pickup truck, any fire vehicle at all, first words that come out of my mouth is, hi, Dad. And when I moved in here, I didn't realize that this street is the main thoroughfare for the fire trucks when they're on their way to a call. The trucks go by. Every day I see them and every day it's, hi, Dad. And I have his helmet after so many years, a fireman's helmet gets retired and they get a new one because wear and tear, damage, you got to make sure your helmet's in good condition. So when he left the Midland Fire Department, he got to keep his, or when he left the Port Nickel Fire Department, he got to keep his helmet. And when he died, there were four helmets, three number fives and one eleven. And because when mom and dad became a family, when they got married and the three of us became a family, and then they had my brother and my sister, we were in Port Nickel. And I've always said that my dad and I weren't biologically related, but he was my dad in so many ways. And my brother and my sister were that link between me and my dad. My brother and my sister are what linked us biologically. So he was my dad. Biologically, through my brother and my sister, he was my dad. And it's funny because he was allergic to penicillin. I am the only kid out of his three children. I am the only one allergic to penicillin. <laughs> so... Go figure. So that's the significance of the number five. It, it means a lot to our family. So this being episode 55, I'm pretty sure I'm going to see a fire truck at some point in time. Now, number four, how I know that there are four stairs going, that there were four stairs in that house going down to my bedroom. Picture, if you will, a rather short, gangly, kind of gawky, little nerdy, grade eight student. I understand why my parents did what they did. I understand why they decided to move from small town Port Manicle to Midland in my grade eight year. Now, schools in Canada are different than schools in the, in the States. Public school is from kindergarten to grade eight. Then you graduate from public school and you move into high school, which is grades nine to 13. Well, used to be nine to 13. It's now nine to 12 with a victory lap. And then you go from high school to college or university to move your child after being in a particular school from grade three to grade seven, you kind of have established your little clique. You've got your little group of friends. You know your place in the school. You know where you stand. And I hung out with the cool kids. I wasn't one of the cool kids, but I hung out with the cool kids. So I was cool by proxy. Nobody messed with me because the cool kids were also the tough kids. I hung out with all the headbangers. You know, the ones that smoked and listened to you know, Anthrax and Slayer and, and Pantera. I didn't listen to any of that. I listened to Duran Duran, but I hung out with all the people that listened to stuff like that. So I was small. I was skinny. I was wimpy, but I hung out with all the people you didn't want to pick a fight with. So I was kind of untouchable. <laughs> it was, that is how I survived. I was no fool. I'm going to make friends with the people that scare everybody else. Therefore, I'll be left alone because I would fit really, really well inside a locker. Trust me, 
I know. I've been inside a locker. I was inside the locker by choice, but I do fit. Well, I don't know if I do now, but in high school, I did fit comfortably inside a high school locker uh, because I was maybe 115 pounds, five foot three, little skinny, scrawny, throw me in a locker. Yep. Uh, Grade nine initiation was not fun. I had a choice, though. I had a choice of a couple of things. Anyway, I digress. We'll get onto that in a minute. minute. My parents bought a house in Midland and started me in a brand new school in grade eight, which is your final year of public school. You're supposed to rule the school in your final year. You're at the top of the ladder. You've made it to the head of the food chain, and I am starting brand new in a school that's already got established clicks. Awesome. I had great big glasses. I had a really bad perm in the front of my hair because I thought perming my bangs would save me time. Big mistake. I straightened the rest of my hair so it was poker straight down my back, except for the bottom. For some reason, the bottom two inches refused to straighten. So it would be straight, 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 ringlet. And then I had these bangs, which I would tease and then use half a can of final net so it didn't move big glasses and I was into like the parachute pants and yeah I was weird and they started me in a new school grade eight was not my stellar year I hated grade eight I did everything I could to try and go unnoticed I had a couple of friends which was all right made it bearable so it's getting to the end of the year school's getting ready to wrap up we're about ready to go on our class trip And summer's coming, and I'm helping my mom bring in the groceries. Now, I don't know if you remember from the 80s, ketchup used to come in a glass bottle. Now, you can still get the little ketchup in the little glass bottle, but we're talking family-sized glass bottle, okay? Like, if you hold it by the neck and you tipped it upside down, it would make a really good mallet. It's about that size. Google Heinz ketchup. 1980s era. It was huge. Well, because we were a family of five and one of them happened to be a growing boy who was a bottomless pit, we went through a lot of ketchup. So I'm helping my mom with the groceries and the bag that she gives me all the bags. And also, if you're a kid, you remember back in the day, the faster you got your chores done, the sooner you got outside away from the parental units and any more responsibilities or chores that they might come up with for you to do on a Saturday. So if you were asked to bring the groceries in, you loaded up your arms with as many bags as you could in the hopes you could do it all in one trip. That's the premise I was working on. Take these downstairs to the pantry, which means I had to go down the four stairs to the family room level where my bedroom was, and then down four more stairs to the basement to the pantry. So I loaded up all the bags ready to go. And I start down the first set of four stairs. And I think I got to like the second stair and my mom said something and I turned and the bag that the ketchup bottle was in got caught on the metal strip. You know, those grippy strips so that you don't slip down the stairs because the stairs were vinyl or sorry, linoleum. This was the eighties linoleum. So they had these metal grippy strips that are really uncomfortable on bare feet, but if you're wearing running shoes, they stop you from sliding down the stairs. Well, the screws always seem to manage to work their way up, so they always kind of stuck up a little bit. Well, when I turned, it caught the bottom of the bag, ripped a hole in the bag, didn't know. Turned back, stumbled, fell down the stairs. Now, the fall down the stairs did not break my right ankle. 
No, no. It was the glass ketchup bottle that bounced down the stairs after me. All four stairs. I watched it. Bounced down the stairs after me, and when it hit the last stairs, launched itself into the air and landed on my right ankle and broke it. So, off to the hospital we go. And I kid you not, and I have said this before, and this is one of the hospital records that says, cause of accident, clumsiness. Mom has a copy. She has a few copies of the hospital records where it says, cause of accident, clumsiness. And if you've known me for any length of time, you know that is a distinct possibility. I am not the most graceful swan in the pool. Not even close. There I am, beginning of July, beginning of June, with a cast on my ankle. Or sorry, it was the end of May. The end of May. With a cast from the end of my toes to my knee. Yep, a nice cast. Pretty, pretty white. Well, wouldn't you have it? Wouldn't you know? Our class trip happened to be to a pioneer village. They don't have paved sidewalks or roads in a pioneer village. They have gravel. And if you're really lucky, cobblestone. Have you ever tried to maneuver gravel and or cobblestone on crutches? You kind of need even ground for crutches to work effectively. Because if you happen to hit a rock with, you know, say your left crutch, and that rock happens to skitter out from underneath the rubber stopper on the bottom of the crutch and take the crutch with you, you fall down. I sure did skinned my left knee so now i've got a a cast on my right leg and blood pouring down my left leg because it just skinned the hell out of my left knee so i'm in a little bit of pain they take me to the infirmary because black creek pioneer village had one fix up my knee so now i've got this lovely bandage on my knee and i'm walking along on my crutches now i'm going a little bit slower because you know i don't want to fall again the cutest teacher in school mr lucas Every girl from grade three up had a crush on Mr. Lucas. He was, I'd say, probably 6'2", 6'3", sandy blonde hair, and the bluest eyes that I have ever seen in my entire life to this very day. He had a very soft, deep voice with just the slightest hint of an accent, but we weren't exactly sure where he had come from. And he never did quite say. He always kind of left that a little bit of a mystery. Even the faculty had a crush on Mr. Lucas. So you try and, and, and you're trying to be cool around Mr. Lucas because, you know, you've heard the song by the police, right? It was that time when the song came out. I was 14. You know, <laughs> you got these fantasies in your head. Well, we had to get on the bus because the bus was leaving to head back to Midland. And it was a two hour drive. The bus driver was getting a little impatient with the gimpy one with the crutches taking so long getting to the bus. So what does Mr. Lucas decide is the best course of action? Let's go scoop up the little short one in the, in, in the cast and carry her to the bus. Yep. Scooped me up in his arms, carried me to the bus. I was absolutely mortified, but he smelled really, really good. I do remember he smelled really, really good. And all I can hear... On the bus is all the jeers and the the jokes and the teasing and the glares from all the other girls on the bus. Yes, he carried me in his arms to the bus. I was mortified. I'm still, like, I'm blushing now talking about it because I'm still a little mortified. I don't think I've ever told anybody that story before. Oh, wait, yes, I have. Never mind. But, yeah, it was a little embarrassing. Thankfully, I redeemed myself at my grade eight graduation. I had a really good, good friend of mine, Brian, and he was a farm boy. So, you know, (laughs) the boy was built. 
But it was really funny, too, because, I mean, he the guy was drop dead gorgeous. He was a farm boy, so he had muscles to, to for days. And they weren't like the the like I saw a guy today that was over muscled. Like you could tell that all he did all the time was work out. He's kind of he actually and I said this to Crystal when I saw him, too. He reminded me of a really young Randy Savage when he first started out like he was all big and muscled and his face still kind of looked normal before the drugs for the steroids. Yeah, that that's what he looked like. But his arms were so big that when he walked, they, the, the lower part of his arms just kind of dangled because he couldn't put his arms down because of the muscles in his arms. Brian wasn't built like that. Brian was hard work muscle. It was it was like proportionate. He looked good. But I didn't ever see him that way. And it was funny, too, because we were in his barn one night. We were just kind of lying in the hay. And we were listening to the cows and chatting. And we were up in the loft. So we had the loft doors open. And we were looking at the stars and watching the fireflies. And he actually leaned over and he kissed me. And we both kind of pulled back and went, oh, what did you just do? And he's like, I don't know. But it felt like I was supposed to. I'm like, don't ever do it again. And he's like, I promise I won't. It was, it was, just, it was like, it was like kissing my brother. It was gross. It was really, really weird. And people always thought we were kind of like a thing or, or had a thing because whenever we were like at a fire or something and he would sit down, I would lie down on top of him, fully spread across his lap, you know, or head on his knee, whatever. We were always horsed around, but there was no chemistry. We just were really, 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 really good friends. And I have a few friends now that I'm like that with that are they're like we're close like that. And it's really it's it's so cool. It is. It's really, really cool. It's like having another brother. By the time Grady graduation came around, I got my cast off. It was still a little tender and I was still kind of recovering from the mortification of, you know, the hottest dude. I mean, and he really was. Even out of all of my classmates, Mr. Lucas was the hottest guy in school. And he was a teacher carrying me to the bus. Just scooped me up, handed my crutches to, I don't even remember who he handed them to. I think he handed them to Rose. And scooped me up in his arms. Like, you know, play ro- romantic, climactic music, whatever. <laughs> Carried me to the bus. Um, so I was still kind of recovering from that mortification. I was still getting teased about it. My classmates were not the nicest of people. They had some rather mean nicknames for me. I used to have my nose, like my nose isn't great now, but it used to be a lot bigger. I will say my car accident kind of fixed that. (laughs) Thank you very much, steering wheel. But one of the names that they used to call me was Gonzo from The Muppet Show. And that one really hurt. So I was trying to find a way to kind of stick it to them all at my graduation. There was the ceremony, like I went out for dinner with my parents, and there was the ceremony, and then there was a dance after, there was always a dance after. It's not the dance after that matters, it's the after parties that you go to. Called Brian up, like, dude, I get you don't like wearing a suit, but you kind of owe me. (laughs) Because I had hooked him up with the girl that he was with. He kind of owed me. And she was all for it. She's like, sure, whatever. She lived in another town and very few people knew that the two of them were dating. They were kind of just kind of keeping it on the down low because she was three years older than he was. And his parents kind of wanted him to date within his age group, at least. They were very Christian and she wasn't. Brian hadn't quite told a lot of people that he was dating her. 
So she's like, yeah, sure, not a problem. You can borrow my boyfriend for the night. I'm good with that. Because she understood the relationship him and I had. Like, you could, you could tell there was no chemistry there at all. It was like brother and sister. Um, like, if you look at my brother and sister, my brother will be sitting on the couch. My sister will just go and sit in his lap, curl up, you know, give him a hug, sit in his lap, whatever. That's kind of the family we are. Well, he fit right in. My mom just loved him. So, like, Brian, I need you to don the best suit you've got, the tightest shirt you can find, your best pair of jeans, your boots, and your cowboy hat. You're my date for grad. He's like, Murray, sure, whatever. I said, but I don't want you to show up right away. He's like, what do you mean? I said, I want you to make an entrance. Because I am all about, I, I don't know, I, 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 well, I used to be. I mean, I'm still kind of all about the, ta-da, the big reveal or the, the you know, look at this, <laughs> surprise. Back then, I was all about the big drama, the, the, the performance. I show up to grad by myself sitting by myself in my little white frilly dress with the twirly skirt because and I you know what I am 49 years old and I will still if I buy a skirt and I'm in the change room by myself I will twirl because I will not buy it if it does not twirl it's gotta be a twirly skirt just so you're aware and pockets pockets are a thing the purple skirt that I just bought twirls beautifully does not have pockets but I can install pockets anyway so my white dress was all like chiffon and, and went just below the knee, tulle. And when I spun, it all kind of flared out and was really pretty. And unfortunately, I thought I had a unique dress until I showed up at graduation and Sharon Setterfield was wearing the same dress. Yeah, awkward. So I showed up to the ceremony by myself. Everybody's there with their dates. Rose and Brent are doing disgusting things in the back row. I show up by myself. And then there's the ceremony and we all get our letters and we get our, like our, our letterman letters. And, um, I'd only been there a year and like, some of these kids had worked on getting their letterman, letterman letters since kindergarten. I'd only been there a year and earned one. <laughs> got kind of got a few glares for that too. Yes. I was an overachiever. Okay. I was in the advanced class. I went to the enrichment program because I was bored with the regular school curriculum. Sue me. So I got all my little little banners that they give you to tie on, to, like to sew onto your Letterman jacket, all that stuff. And then the ceremony's over. The parents leave. They do the first dance. You're supposed to dance with your dad. I did. Then they leave. And then the real dance begins. And I'm still there by myself. And Brian knew because usually by the third song, they would play more than words. No, I can't remember the song. Oh, what is it? What is it? What is it? I'm trying to think. I can't think what it is. Anyway, it was a slow song, but they usually waited like they did the, the slow song with the parents. Then they played three or four fast dance songs. And then they played this slow song every single time, every single time. And then at the very end of the dance, you got Stairway to Heaven because it was 17 minutes long. But they played this slow song. So I told him, when you hear that, I'm going to kind of move off of from wherever I'm standing. And you'll see me. I'll be kind of close to the center of the dance floor by myself. Just make your entrance then. Because like, like I said, performance, drama. The song comes on and I kind of make my way. And everybody's kind of looking at me like I'm just out there swaying back and forth by myself. Yes, I'm dancing by myself. I'm, I'm a weirdo. And Brian decides to he decides he's going to make this like the ultimate performance so he waits until i have my back to him and he just comes up behind me and just 
kind of scoops down and wraps his arms around me from behind, picks me up, and then just starts swaying back and forth in a circle, like, you know, how we danced back in the 80s, around like that. And I just kind of leaned my head back onto him. And we and like I could hear the, the oh, oh. <laughs> and he puts me down and I turn around and give him a hug and kisses me on the cheek and we continue the dance. And like I've got my head buried in his neck and he's got his head kind of buried in the top of mine and we're dying. <laughs> like from the outside it looked like we were having this moment. On the inside, we were killing ourselves laughing. <laughs> like, dude, that was awesome he's like i know i'm like how long do i have you for like how long are you allowed to stay out and he's like i've only got till 12 30 said okay so as soon as this dance is over we're going to the first party and then you and i will make our exit at 12 30 and everybody will think you know oh it's graduation night off they go yeah you know it was it was it was amazing it was great i just i to this day i can't thank him enough for doing that because my grade nine year was fantastic. Most people, when they start high school, it sucks. And they're like, you're back at the bottom of the rung. You're low man on the totem pole. You are small fish in a big pond. All of the other analogies that you can think of. But I wasn't because all of my friends from Port were now at the same high school because there were only three high schools in the area. There was four, sorry, there's four. There was Le Caron, which was the complete French school. And unless you went to Saint-Joseph, you didn't get into Le Caron. It was that simple. Then there was PSS, which was the Penetang Secondary School. And they did French immersion. They had English classes, but a lot of them were in French. Then there was St. Teresa's, which was the Roman Catholic High School. And then MSS, Midland Secondary School, which was the public school, which is where... Most of us went. All of my friends from Port Benicol, we are now all back in the same school. So I am back with the cool kids. I am hanging with the cool kids. So my choice for grade nine initiation, the initiation, the hazing that they were doing that year was you could get a swirly. Y'all know what a swirly is, right? Get your head dunked in the toilet and flushed. That's a swirly. You could spend the afternoon in your locker, literally in your locker, locked in, praying somebody remembered at 320 to let you out or you could push a skittle down the english hall with your nose i didn't relish the idea of spending the entire afternoon in my locker i spent a lot a lot of time on my hair so i chose the skittle yes i pushed a skittle down the english hall now the english hall you need to understand you walk in the main doors of the high school to the right was the office to the left was the english hall so the entire school saw you on your hands and knees pushing a red skittle from one end of the hall to the other with my nose. And then I stood up, took a bow, got applause. Actually, I think I got like a 9.6 from Mr. Ostrowski, the English teacher, and went about my day. And I earned cred. I earned really good street cred doing that because I didn't care. I just did it. Sure. All right. I'll push a skittle. Whatever. I made a joke out of it. You know, I had my best friend Jenny was beside me with an actual bag of Skittles and I'd push the Skittle for a while and I'd stop and she'd feed me Skittles, give me a shot of water, pat me on the back like, you can do it, you can do it, throw me back in the ring and I'd go down a little farther because it was a long haul. I'm telling you, it was a long haul. There were like 12 classrooms down this hall. It's huge. Yeah, wow. Talk about like nostalgia episode. I wasn't quite sure 
what I, oh, there, and there's the fire truck. Just went by. <laughs> you can see the glow, the red. Because they don't run their sirens at night because, I mean, this is residential-ish. There's only two streets in Sutton, so it's, it's business residential. Yeah, talk about going down, like, reminiscing. I guess it's because Monday was the ninth anniversary of losing my muse, uh, my friend Dana. She died of leukemia nine years ago. And I would spend, she was a night owl, and I would spend many insomniac hours having tea with her at two or three o'clock in the morning, just talking. And she was the inspiration for a lot of my poetry. We it just through a conversation there. If you go to um, Musings by Me, my Facebook page, and you see at the top, it'll say back deck inspiration, or it'll say after having a chat with my sister, those are the ones that she directly inspired that that directly came from a conversation with her. And the ones that kind of hit very deep, the ones that are very raw and very emotional are inspired are from her. Like we would have these middle of the night conversations and she struggled with a lot of things. She struggled with addiction. She struggled with her weight. And I struggled with a lot of things in my past history as well. We would talk them through. We would cry together. We would scream together. We would plot the demise of our assailants together in a variety of colorful ways. And she had a really good imagination. Let me tell you. <laughs> but she would pull that emotion out of me. And then I would write the poem. So when she died, I haven't really written poetry like that since. I haven't gone to those places since she died. And in a sense, I can say that that level of my poetry died with her. Whether or not I will ever get it back, whether or not I will ever be brave enough to go to those places without my Dana net, as I called her. <laughs> she was my safety net. So she was my Dana net. She was my butterfly. I've always called her my butterfly. She died in 2012 and she will always be my butterfly. The day she died, actually, I had a butterfly show up on my screen and I thought it was dead. It was just kind of hanging there. And I went out and it moved its wings. It just slowly flapped its wings. And I talked to Dana and I told her that I was going to miss her. And I told her that I loved her and that, you know, now you can fly on those technicolor wings. And that butterfly stayed for three days. Now, there is a belief that the soul hangs around for three days after the body has died. And they visit those that they, they need to say goodbye to. And I do believe that that butterfly being there was Dana saying goodbye. After three days, it was gone. And I nev I've never seen a butterfly like that ever again, like that particular pattern. And I don't think I've ever actually talked about Dana's death with outside people, just to mention her death in passing, or talked about how sh big of an influence she was on my poetry. So much to the point that I wrote her a poem called Fly, Butterfly, Fly. Uh, before she died. And I wrote it for her. I gave it to her. I found out after, <laughs> well, she said to me uh, before she died, because she, she went and she planned her entire service, funeral service. She planned the entire thing. She went to the funeral home. She sat down with the funeral director and she said, this is what I want. This is what you're going to do. Here's the playlist for the music. Play these songs. These are the people that are going to speak. This is the order they're going to speak in. This is what's going to happen. 
she said to me, your poem's going to be read. The poem that you wrote me will be read at my service. Okay, great. So there I am sitting in the, I want to say audience, because kind of that's what it was. She had kind of turned it into a production, a performance. There she was in her casket holding court, basically, kind of what she did. I'm sitting there. I, it was, oh, who was it that was up? It was Patty. Patty was up at the podium and Patty had said her piece. And um, she says, now we will have a reading of one of Dana's favorite pieces by Lupa. I about fell out of my chair. And she liked to do that to me too. She liked to push me outside of my comfort zone. She liked to push me outside of my box. And she liked to do it with a surprise. Guess what you're doing? She did it to me at Fest all the time. We would go down to watch the Bardic, which is... Um, a storytelling musical kind of competition. Whatever talent you have, you display your talent and you see if you can win. We would, I always carried my poetry book with me wherever I went because if a poem hits me, I need to get it down immediately. So I always carried it with me. So we would go down to Bardic. You know, next thing I'd know, they're calling my name and uh, uh, which poem am I doing? And she would grab my book, flip through the page and go, that one. And off I'd go. I have not a poetry book with me. I have not a copy of said piece that she wants me to read. I don't memorize my poetry. Once it's out of my head and on paper, it's gone. Well, she took care of that too. Because I get up to the podium and there on the podium is a piece of paper with my poem on it. And at the top of the poem, it says, love you dollface. And that's what she called me, dollface. Love you dollface. And it was from her. So I read Fly Butterfly Fly at her po- at her wake service celebration of life i don't know and then we all went to the park in pembroke and we drummed and we danced and we sang and we celebrated dana's life the way dana would have wanted it to be celebrated it was it was heart-wrenching it was beautiful and today i kind of spent it reminiscing with misha it was kind of for me it was kind of almost full circle ish because misha and i had stopped talking shortly before Dana died. Our friendship had kind of gone off the rails. And when Dana died, her and I weren't talking. Then normally, because Misha and I were best friends, normally in a situation like that, we would have hung on to each other. We would have gone to the funeral together, but we didn't have each other. And she didn't find out until after the fact. So she didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. I didn't know any of that until like just recently when her and I had started talking again. So her and I kind of um, had a moment and I was kind of reminiscing with Crystal and I spent the day sitting with Dana, basically. I was running around doing stuff and, and I could hear her in my head all day. You got this, dollface. You got this. Go do this, dollface. You got it. You look good, dollface. I, 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 I can't say it the way she said it. It's kind of like the way I say, you got this, love, you know, or way to go, love. Anybody who knows me personally and, and, and intimately, like a close friend, has I call them that. Call them love. I do. Or hun. It's just what I do. But she was with me today. I know she was with a lot of people today. Now, Misha knew her before I met her. Misha knew her as Lisa. Her name was Lisa Dana Rondo. And when she chose her spiritual path, she shed Lisa and became Dana. A lot of people do that. Um, because you are shedding a life that was not you. You're shedding a person that is not you. I never really did that. I was Steph or Lupa. I've always been me. Lupa was a nickname given to me, not a spiritual name that I chose, not a a craft name, nothing like that. It was just a nickname because 
I bear a lot of similarities to a character out of a book that is my favorite series. And she was the Lupa of the local werewolf pack. So um, apparently I have a lot of traits that she had, uh, especially back then. So I was given the nickname Lupa and it just kind of stuck. That's where that came from. Now, over the years, it's been shortened to Lou. For a while there, while I was contemplating taking a spiritual name, it was Apul. <laughs> that's that's kind of a joke. Uh, Misha will get that one. Apul and Couscous. <laughs> actually, I think Mike will get that too. Mike might actually understand that one too. That one came from Andy. Andy and MC. Apul. Misha and I both knew Dana at separate, part, separate times in her life. I met her at Fest and... Her and I immediately bonded. Misha knew her beforehand through Patty, which is somebody else that I know. And then I took Misha to her first fest. I took her to Kaleidoscope. And we're standing there. And Misha's kind of nervous and kind of shy. She doesn't know anybody. I know everybody. So I'm waving and we're chatting. And then all of a sudden, Misha's gone. And she's running across the sand and across the fire, across the drum circle, and launches herself at Dana. What the hell? I go running after her and she's like, oh my God, this is my friend Lisa. And I'm like, no, it's not. Put tequila down. It's not. It's Dana. Her name is Dana. And she's like, no, it's Lisa. And I'm like, no, it's Dana. And she's like, no, it's Lisa. And Dana looks at me and says, well, no, really, it was Lisa, but now I'm Dana. I know Michelle. I'm like, all right. Wow. Small world. (laughs) And it just kind of went from there. I, I miss her. I miss her a lot, especially at this time of night. It's like... 2.30 2.30 in the morning when she would see me online. At two, she always seemed to know. Even when I was like offline, she always seemed to know. I would get a message from her. What you doing, dollface? And I'd be like, not sleeping. And she's like, yeah, me neither. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. And I came back one day with the price of tea in China. That was my answer to her. She said, what do you want to talk about? I said, the price of tea in China. She actually looked up the price of tea in China. <laughs> but she was just full of life and, and full of... of laughter and she brought it from such a broken place i mean she had so many demons that she battled and she was actually when she got sick she was in the process of recovering from battling a rather bad fall i would say from sobriety from where she was supposed to be she fully made it public put it all out there on front street told everybody because she kind of went off grid for about three weeks. Nobody knew where she was. We couldn't find her. We couldn't get a hold of her. She wasn't answering her phone. She wasn't answering any messages. And she was basically on a three-week bender. Drugs, booze, sex, everything. She kind of came out of that and realized, oh, this is not good. I, I can't be here. Um, and she was just pulling herself out of that when she was diagnosed with leukemia. So I don't know if she ever actually made peace with herself with that, but she put it all out on Facebook. She held herself accountable and she asked all of us to help hold her accountable as she went through recovery. And then she got sick. But yeah, I miss her. I miss her a lot. Things have been pretty, uh, pretty morose the last few days. A kid that was really close to me for a lot of years, he just recently died. I just, I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around that one. That one I I have not sat with yet, and I don't know. Because dealing with that, dealing with Josh's death means that I have to revisit Tony's death. And I don't know if I'm ready to do that yet. 
I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. There's, see, <laughs> interesting story. I had to face Tony's death twice. Uh, shortly after I came back from Georgia, I was living with Misha and Tony and I were still talking back and forth every day. Um, we'd still had plans for me to go back. I got a phone call. I guess it was about two months after I'd been back, two and a half months. I got a phone call from his sister, Cindy, telling me that he had died. Okay. So I spent numerous years thinking he was dead. And then a few years ago, get a phone call from his daughter. Well, I kind of found out through mutual friends of ours that that wasn't quite the case, that the stories of his death, death were greatly exaggerated. But I had moved on by that point. My ex and I had gotten back together. And I think that was the whole point of what Cindy was trying to do was to get me to let go of him so that he could move on and I could move on. Crappy way to do it. And he, oh, and we're not even going to talk about where he ended up. But anyway, so I was devastated, especially the first time I was devastated. So then, you know, the years go on, whatever. You're over there doing your thing. I'm over here doing my thing. And it was still kind of, that's still kind of, he's still out there, you know? And then I get a call from his daughter telling me that he'd had a heart attack on the way to the Piggly Wiggly to buy cigarettes. And then uh, 10 minutes after I hang up with Lissa, Doris calls me to tell me he'd had a heart attack. I'm like, great. All right. Uh, why are you calling me and telling me? I mean, I understood Lissa calling me and telling me because I still, I still, to this day, still talk to Lissa. I still talk to Josh up until... I think two days before his car accident. Um, they both called me Mama Lou. Getting the phone call from Doris was kind of weird. Like She's bawling and crying and carrying on like, you know, they were still married and a couple and, and you know, he had left her house. And I'm like, what, what do you want from me? <laughs> what do you want from me? I'm going to hang up this phone. I'm going to go somewhere private because this is not something that I could grieve about openly because I was back with my ex and I had left my ex for him. My ex and I had worked things out. We were back together. So it's not like I could turn around and go, I'm heartbroken. The man that you hate and, and wish dead is now really dead. It was something I had to do by myself. I had to grieve by myself. I think I went to Misha's house, actually. <laughs> if I remember correctly, I think I did go to Misha's house. Maybe. No, I don't know. I don't remember what I did, but I... I kind of grieved a little bit in private to revisit to, to sit with Josh's death and and acknowledge that and accept that and grieve for that means I need to revisit and finish what I didn't and I'm not ready to do that so we're not going to do that not today maybe not tomorrow either sometime soon I need I know I need to because I've learned I've learned you can't keep things bottled up. You've got to deal with them. You've got to feel them. You've got to go through them. You've got to let them out or they become a problem. So I need to deal with it, but I'm not dealing with it today. Anyway, so I think it's now quarter to three in the morning. I think I'm going to end here. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Because I mean, the main reason why I want to do the podcast today is because I want to talk about the excellent and amazing and absolutely freaking awesome audio experience on the magazine review. And I couldn't talk about it last week because it hadn't come out. So I can talk about it now because it's out and you've all heard it. And holy crap, I, I, I don't have the words. I don't. I, when I first heard it, I'm standing there and my brother-in-law and I were building a wall 
actually <laughs> building a gardening wall when I got the message from Joe. I've uploaded it. And I'm like, ooh, squee. So I go over there and it's a wave file and I'm on my phone and my phone won't play it. And I'm getting frustrated. And I, he sends back, do you want me to send it as an MP3? I'm like, please do. Sends it back as an MP3. So I'm listening to it. And I, I'm not paying attention to what my face is doing, okay? I am spellbound. I'm drawn. And I mean, these are my words. I wrote the story. So I know how the story goes. But I was sucked right in to listening to it. And Scott's like, so that's your story. And I'm like, yeah, that's my story. And um, the roommate, Kyle, was standing there, too, because, you know, he's a great supervisor. And he's like, so you wrote that and they, they're they're acting it out. Like, this, do they do this? Is this like a series? Do they do this like every week? Is like like the, the radio shows from in the past. And is that what they're going to do with this? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there, Joe. Just throwing that out there. Get a hold of me. We'll talk. But see, I didn't forget. Ha ha. <laughs> I, I was I was spellbound. And then, I mean, it's one thing I'm sitting there and I'm listening to Jenna read it and she's got such a beautiful voice to begin with and she's reading my words and I'm just completely spellbound. And then when you hear Marlon speak and it's like, oh, oh, my character has a voice. Oh my gosh. And then Reese speaks and it's like, oh my God, they're real. Suddenly, Marlon and Reese and then Chris, they're real. They've suddenly become real. And I'm like, this is, this is insane. It was so good. I, I, it completely captured exactly what I had written, the mood that I was going for. When Reese goes and lays back on the slab and she tells Marlon, again, it'll never be enough. That Just that... That tone that she has in her voice, that that resignation, that that determination, that no, it's not an that that was it exactly. And I just, I uh, you can hear me. I'm like, I, ah. <laughs> I generally have words. You you've listened to my podcast. I generally have words. I have no words. I don't know how to thank Joe and Jenna for what they did to my piece. They brought it to life. They made my characters real. Like now when I'm writing Reese and I'm writing Marlon, those are the voices that I hear. And I'm telling you, I kept waiting for Chris. Like I kept waiting for a dude or man. And then I realized I didn't write that. I need to write that because that, like, yeah, it was, it was perfect. It was just absolutely perfect. And I am so thrilled. Like Jenna got a sneak peek to part three. It's in the magazine now. And she had a couple of suggestions. And I'm like, yeah, because it was really rough when I sent it to her. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of where I was thinking, too. So I'm really, really glad that she liked what I did with it, where I took it, because the Roanoke legend is so intense. Like if you are a follower and if you followed the clues and if you followed the, the evidence that they have, and you're as invested as I am in the whole Roanoke mystery, the same as Jenna is, then you'll you'll see those little tidbits within the telling of what Reese did in that little colonial village in North Carolina. I don't actually come out and say it. It is in the title, but I don't come out and say it. Well, I do. I do. Chris asks. But wow, like that whole audio experience, I highly recommend that you guys like try and get the votes because to hear your work 
your work done as as an audio production with actors is it's just it's surreal it kind of takes it to a whole new level because they're acting it out and it's it no longer becomes a story on the page it becomes this dramatic event that you want to tune into week after week yeah it just i i i don't have words i thank you guys i love you guys so much just wow <laughs> wow that's all i got wow you guys are amazing and you're so good at what you do you really are don't stop please you guys are i just i i know i, know I sound like i'm gushing and i kind of am because i'm totally fangirling over what they did with my work like they they took my vision and they just made it better <laughs> you know like i want to actually see it acted out now like visually see it with these actors and 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 the costumes and the whole like I want to see it now but yeah I just I I wanted to take a moment and talk about that and thank them for what they're doing with the member of the month because listening to it as as a spectator it's like oh that's really cool you know way to go um that's awesome it sounds so good now experiencing it from the member of the month's seat it's just wow it's it's i i'm gonna say it. it is akin to holding that first book in your hand that has your words and your name on it it is that level of feeling that you get of of experience of emotion that you get like my brother-in-law said to me as he's watching me listen to this and he's listening he's like your face is gonna hurt I'm like, I'm not paying attention to what my face is doing. What do you mean my face is going to hurt? He says, I haven't seen you smile that big for that long in a very long time. So I haven't seen you that happy in a long time. And I'm like, dude, those are my words. They came out of my head. And now they're coming out of somebody else's mouth. It's like, dude, ah. I don't know how to explain it. Like there were tears running down my face and I'm grinning like a fool from ear to ear and giggling. And I'm like, that's my words. That's mine. <laughs> like, I, uh, I don't know how to, I just, it was, it was an incredible experience. And one I hope to have again because it's kind of an adrenaline rush and it's very addicting. It's very addicting. So I'm going to be up in my game, folks. Be prepared. I'm going to be up in my game. Uh, speaking of upping the game, I had made a comment, a mere reflection of a situation on my last podcast. I had mentioned that I have yet to be on the Three Nose podcast. So Sunday, which is typically their recording day, I get a text message from Mike. You're going to be available about seven o'clock for a phone call. Now, Mike and I are doing kind of some stuff on the side as well. We've got um, some weight loss competitions kind of going between us and and we're we're working some programs so i'm like yeah sure whatever because i just got him onto the same fasting program that i'm doing so i thought maybe you know he wanted to call and talk about it and he had some questions i'm like yeah i can make myself available not a problem so the phone rings about quarter after seven i answer like hello because it comes up my glutes hello <laughs> he's like hi and then i hear a second hi and then i hear mike go Welcome to the Three Nose Podcast. Now, you've probably heard the podcast by now because it comes out the day before mine does. And you heard Jason's lame excuse as to why 
he didn't uh, send me a congratulations on my 52nd episode. Because even though we are all, as he says, in one family, you don't root for the competition. I do believe my response to him was, game on, dude. Game on. <laughs> Bring it. When you, when you come up to my level, then it'll be a competition. But until then, keep trying, little man. Keep trying. Mwah. But it was a really good time. We had a lot of fun. We had some really good conversations. And there may or may not be something in the works. A collaboration between the three of us. That's all I'm going to put out there. Because it may not happen. It may happen. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. I decided, because I had mentioned, I had threatened Joe, that there would be a podcast poolside. So I had decided, since I'm on the phone and I'm a guest, I'm going to be in the pool. I'm going to be paddling around in the pool on the phone. Unfortunately, I was paddling around in the pool on the phone during a thunderstorm. So, you know, living dangerously. But uh, yeah, we had some really good conversations. And if you haven't listened to it, I suggest you do. It was a lot of fun. I really hope I get the chance to do it again because the three of us kind of meshed really well. We had a really good flow between the three of us. Um, at times it was more of me and Mike get Jason. <laughs> and then it was kind of Jason take over and Mike and I go, well, I don't know. But yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. And I really want to thank them for allowing me to be on the show just out of a mere comment of saying that, you know, they've been on mine. I hadn't been on theirs. So now we're even. They've been on mine. I've been on theirs. And I was well-behaved on theirs. They were not well-behaved on mine. Just putting that out there. But yeah, I would, I'd go listen to it. You know, then you can come back to the best podcast on the network. And I'll let you decide what that is. I'm not going to assume that mine is the best podcast on the network. Because I'm not that brazen. But I do hold the number one slot. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, just a little friendly competition amongst friends, you know, kiss, kiss, all that. May the best woman win. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, okay, I'm going to get out of here. I'm on an hour and a half now, and poor Joe is going to have a conniption because this is probably going to push it to about four and a half hours of editing. But yeah, so I'm out. <laughs> I'm starting to do like Canadian. Yeah, but so, okay. It's 3.01 now. I am totally out of here. You know where to find me. I'm all over Facebook. I'm all over Instagram. I'm, I only have one account. I was going to say I'm all over TikTok, but I only have one account on TikTok. Uh, if you want to be on the show, shoot me an email. What the hell? Why not? Come be on the show with me. We'll ramble. I don't know. We'll talk about whatever. I am going to hopefully at some point... Uh, get Mr. James Bates on the show to talk about his new book and get a Christopher Bice on the show. We'll talk about his book and, you know, we'll do stuff. We'll do stuff. I don't know when, but we'll do stuff. Facebook. Find me at Lupus Bits, the podcast, Dark Myth Publications, Zombie Works Publications, The World of Myth Magazine, Stephanie Bart, J. Barty, Lupa Barty. That's all on Facebook. I don't think I missed anything. On Twitter, I'm at the World of Myth Magazine. I run the World of Myth Bits podcast page, uh, Dark Myth Publications, Zombie Works. I think we have a Twitter for them now, do we? Do we not? Do we? I think we do. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Lupus Bits the podcast uh, and at Lupa B. Instagram, Dark Myth Publications, Luhu Baskets, Lupa Stephanie. Lupa Barty, author, Stephanie J. Barty, author, uh, Lupa's Bits, the podcast, 
I think that's it. And then on TikTok, I am Lady Lou Who. Come find me. And you can email me at lupabardi at gmail.com. All right, everybody. Have a good week. Until next week, see ya. Carry on my way, son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry.